the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. In our first two segments tonight, we're going to be talking about the uh, the virus that we're all talking about, the coronavirus, and what's going on with it. And joining us again is uh, Dr. Daniel Megas. He's our medical director for the North Royalton Community Emergency Response Team and a longtime doctor and friend. Dr. Megas, thank you for joining us again. Okay, it's good to be with you again, Nick. Um, yes, happy sir. Friday. Yeah, happy. Yes. Well, this will, be on, this will be on Sunday, but that's okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, in any event, I'd like you to uh, sort of give us a, a present status of the coronavirus. I know you've been keeping up on it on a daily basis. What is the yeah. present status uh, as of this weekend? Well, as of um, March 6th of this year, there's been globally a little over 97,000 cases, 3,380 deaths in uh, 80 countries. There's a mortality rate of about 3.5%, roughly, if you use that to calculate it, although those are imprecise numbers, and I'll explain to that later why. Uh, most of the cases are all in China, 80,400 of them, and most of the deaths, three, over 3,000 of those 3,300 deaths are in China. However, the good news is ever since the beginning of February, the new case incidents um, uh, COVID-19, and I'm calling it COVID-19 because that's the official name given to it by the World Health Organization. So ever since February 2nd, each week we get um, fewer cases. They've locked down the, uh, the communities around Wuhan and around Beijing. And uh, uh, ever since then, uh, the, the incidences have um, decreased which is a good sign because it shows that there is possibility that this can be contained. But it's very difficult. You remember when I last spoke to you, I told you um, if it behaves like the SARS did, it's going to be much easier to contain it because the SARS patients did not spread it until they were symptomatic for several days. Um, When I last spoke to you, there were unconfirmed reports out of um, Germany um, suggesting that this uh, virus could be spread before people be develop symptoms. And indeed, that turned out to be the case and one of the reasons why it's spreading as rapidly as it is. Right now, the Congress has uh, allocated $8.3 billion, billion dollars, $3 billion to um, help develop treatment for it and vaccines, another $2.2 billion, billion to help contain it. Several billion will be sent off overseas to help those countries that have limited health resources. Uh, the president and his staff has declared level four travel bans, complete travel bans to China, Italy, and Iran. That means nobody can in this U.S. is allowed to go there. And anybody who's visited those countries in the last two weeks will not be given entrance into the United States. Now, all this suggests the possibility that we may end up with a... Uh, 
progressive global pandemic. But trust me, it does. It's not as bad as it sounds, and I'll explain to you why. Uh, that said, here in the U.S., our, our risks are very low. We do have 232 cases in um, four and 14 deaths um, in 83 counties in 13 different states. But most of the hot spots are in the state of Washington and California. Number one. Uh, 46 of the uh, uh, of, of them actually were repatriated uh, American citizens that were on that Diamond Princess cruise. So 36 of them came from that right away. Um, the transmission rate, meaning how many, when, when a person gets ill, how many people they transmit it to, is hard to calculate. But it was about 2.5 in China way at the beginning, back in the beginning of January. Transmission rate in the U.S., the last I saw statistics a week ago, was 0.4. Here's the significance of the transmission, transmission rate. If you're going to um, contain and uh, decrease the uh, transmission, you have to keep the transmission rate less than one. So that means every person gets sick does not transmit it to another person. He gets over the condition and it slowly dies down. So our transmission rate so far is far lower than it ever was in China. And um, their transition rate, at last I heard, uh, was coming down, but I don't have a, a figure for it. Um, but keep this in mind. Uh, this is flu season. We have a horrendous incidence of influenza. The vaccine is not as effective this year as it was in the past. 29 million cases so far by the middle of February, and there were 16,000 deaths in the United States alone just from the influenza. And that, and that compares with the 14 from the COVID-19 virus, which is totally, totally different. Most of the people who get sick with this um, have a mild or moderate cold bronchitis. They have a cough. The reason why the death rate seems relatively high compared to uh, the number of uh, cases that we have is because uh, most of them came from that nursing home in the state of Washington. They were very uh, ill, had a lot of comorbidities, and were very fragile patients to begin with. It didn't take much of a pneumonia to actually... Uh, lead to their demise. Um, we are also testing more people now. The, um, in the past, the CDC was recommending those people to be tested who came from hotspots, who came from Italy, who came from Iran, who came from China, or anybody who had contact uh, with somebody uh, from, that, uh, from those hotspots, and they had symptoms. We're now testing people more randomly, people who just have colds, uh, who may not have been uh, in the hotspot or may not have known that they contacted somebody who was um, in one of the hotspots around the world. And that will give us a clear incident. Every virus has a group of patients that are asymptomatic. You can get it, your body produces an immune response, you never get sick, you never knew you had it unless you had a blood test later showing there were antibodies to the virus. Um, we have no idea how many people that there are in the, in the U.S. and in the world that were exposed to this virus but never had symptoms or minimal symptoms, don't even know they're sick. Um, that will take widespread, randomized um, uh, testing. And uh, I heard Tony Fossey on the um, 
on the on the TV last night talking about testing millions of people to really get a clear indication of the extent of this condition. And when we find out how many people are exposed, we're going to find out the mortality rate is far lower. It's estimated by the CDC that the mortality rate is somewhere in the range of 0.9 and 1%. Still significant, but far lower than most people feared at the beginning. Um, with 29 million cases of the flu and 16,000 deaths in the U.S., uh, the um, mortality rate is far below um, 1%. Um, but there's far more flu conditions running around right now than there are COVID-19. Um, do you have any other questions that you'd like to ask about? Well, sure. I know the, the rates we're talking about how many total cases uh, of the coronavirus are out there. Uh, once the testing starts, we expect that number to go up as we're, we're going to be revealing we're find more out cases. Many more people I have it and don't even know they're sick. Don't even know they have it. Uh, the good news uh, for us in Ohio, um, there are uh, still no confirmed cases. Um, there are seven negative people tested that turned out negative, and there's one person under surveillance right now. So Cleveland, I mean Ohio, is one of those um, places that are so far spared. The, um, there's 13 uh, states that have it. The closest one to it is Illinois. The next one is New York, and uh, of course New York City. Uh, they, they found it there, and North Carolina is uh, the next uh, closest state. Um, there's a few c cases down in Florida right now where, where I am, and um, those people are being watching quarantine very carefully. You know, once a person goes through the experience with uh, COVID-19, I suppose we're calling it now, uh, mm -hmm. are they going to have the antibodies to prevent them from getting it a second go-around? Well, it's a possibility. Uh, we've seen that before, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of these things die out. Uh, we, we think that's the reason why the Zika virus that two, two three years ago was such a, such a um, uh, sudden outbreak in the Caribbean and the Americas um, uh, is, a, is barely causing any problems today because most of the people in, in the areas where it's endemic are now immune to the virus and it's not an issue anymore. Yeah, that's a possibility, we hope, but um, to, uh, but here's the problem. It, they're, they're desperately trying to, um, even though the risk is small right now to the U.S., the, and, and if the true mortality rate is about 1% or less, um, even 1% of Americans would overwhelm the, um, the medical profession, overwhelm our hospitals, overwhelm our intensive cares and, and needs for oxygen therapy and uh, respirators. So even a one, trying to prevent a widespread um, outbreak of this to avoid overloading the medical system and the public health system in the United States is really um, a good idea necessary to do. What? But there's a possibility, and that's why, they're, that's why they're, they've got drug companies trying to develop a vaccine as soon as possible, and that's always, always the safest way to prevent it and the, the most sure way to prevent it. We're talking uh, to, we're, we're talking to Dr. Dan Megas. Dan, we're going to take a short break. We're going to be back. Okay. Uh, we're going to be back talking okay. to Dr. Dan Megas about the uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus in just a moment. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. No 
Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips is with you with another segment of The Advocate. Uh, we're pleased to have Dr. Dan Magus with us again tonight, and he's talking about COVID-19, another name for uh, the coronavirus. Uh, Dr. Magus, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Um, well, let's, to, um, yeah, let's go and talk about the, the virus and what can we do about this? Uh, what about prevention? Well, um, the first thing that you've got to be aware about, if you, if you get any information, make sure you go to a reliable source. If you go to the CDC website, World Health Organization websites, those are very reliable, but there's a lot of information on the Internet that you've got to be careful of what you hear. Um, in, in for those people in Ohio, if they go to the Ohio Department of Health, that's also a very reliable source of information. But the CDC is warning people of the phishing scams. Um, uh, organizations that that pretend or tr- uh, give um, give you an email, send an email that looks like it's coming from officially from the CDC, asking you for personal information so they can give you hot spots of coronavirus um, infection nearby you and then getting all kinds of personal information from you are totally phishing schemes and do not do that. You get information, go to the websites, of the official websites of the World Health Organization, the CDC, or that state um, health department of health where you are. And for Ohioans, that's the Ohio Department of Health. Um, the first thing is stay calm because, as I said, even though there's 97,000 cases and 3,300 deaths across the uh, um, the globe, the uh, the risk for the in the U.S. is still very very low. Most of the people who get this have a mild to moderate cold bronchitis, and it's all it's the elderly or immune compromised who um, who actually get very very sick from this and are more likely to um, get a, a, a fatal pneumonia. What, what, real down, quick, what is the age of elderly nowadays? Well, the elderly, we're talking about over 70, over 80, somewhere in that range. Uh, okay. Diabetics, I've also got to be careful because the diabetics tend to uh, uh, have immune issues and they also can get sicker than the average person. So diabetics have to be careful, too. Uh, so, stay, so stay calm and seek out accurate information, number one. Uh, the, there is no vaccine yet, um, and there's no treatment for it. So the most, thing, the most important thing you can do is keep washing your hands. Every time uh, you, you uh, touch something that's potentially contaminated, and in, Ohio, in the state of Ohio, very little things are contaminated yet. Um, it, but these are the same preventive measures you're going to take to try to avoid influenza. So in, in Ohio right now, you're probably trying to avoid influenza much more than you are the COVID-19. But it works for both. Wash your hands for 20 seconds at least. Dry your hands with clean towels or air-dry machines. If you don't have the alcohol, use the, I mean, don't have the soap, use the alcohol-based um, hand sanitizers and, uh, and water uh, when the soap is unavailable. Cover your mouth and your and and um, your nose when you with your with your sleeve, um, at your elbow when you're coughing and when you're sneezing. Uh, avoid touching your eyes, your nose, and your mouth after you've handled things that could potentially be contaminated. If you're home, if you're sick, stay home from work, stay home from school, uh, stay in the house uh, so you don't spread the condition, particularly even the flu to anybody else and avoid contact with people who are sick. 
uh, avoid shaking hands, hugging people and kissing them. The usual things that you would do when you're trying to avoid the flu. These are the same things that are, that you want to avoid COVID-19. Now, um, there's no documented cases of it even in Ohio. So any precautions you, you, uh, you undergo are to avoid influenza and are very useful and should be done anyway, whether uh, the COVID-19 virus is there or not. Um, keep soap and hand sanitizer and tissues on hand. If you're out and about, have a hand sanitizer and a little pack of those uh, tissue wipes um, in your hands that you, you use for the babies and for the, for the kids. Uh, make sure they're easily accessible at home if you need them. Uh, keep household cleaning sprays and wipes readily available. If there's a, um, if there's flu in the area or somebody's in who's sick, wipe down the, uh, um, the chairs with the, with the wipes, wipe down the tabletops and to, um, to, uh, to, um, cut down and just kill any germs over there. What are the surfaces that are high touch areas? Well, they're the things that make sense, like countertops, tabletops, doorknobs, especially light switches, bathroom fixtures, the toilets, Telephones, your cell phone, keyboards on your computer, any tablets or bedside tables. Clean the services um, once a day with uh, with some kind of disinfectant, Lysol spray, or whatever you whatever you can use. But follow the directions. Use them on the materials that they're allowed. But any bodily fluid, you got to be especially uh, concerned about any blood, stool, urine or any bodily fluid that's on a countertop or tissue or on a toilet, that should be wiped down um, and should be you should wipe it down with gloves. How, how long will we the do. virus stay alive on surfaces? Well, we don't know for sure with this, but it's you've got to assume an hour or two. And what about... That's why somebody, that's why somebody sneezes on a table or right. on a chair and, uh, and you're, and you're going to touch it and then touch that hand to your mouth or your nose or your eye where there's mucous membranes where the virus can get in. They can't get in through the skin. They get in through the mucous membrane inside the mouth, inside the nose, um, inside the eye there where the conjunctival occurs. In, in the last couple of minutes, uh, let, let's talk about flying. A lot of us travel around, uh, going to airports, being around hundreds of people and flying in airplanes, uh, trapped in an airplane for hours. Uh, how do we handle that? Well, uh, it's not a bad idea to carry a mask, but you don't really need a mask unless you're in an area that's endemic or you're going there or somebody's sick nearby you. If you do have a cold and you're traveling, you don't think it's COVID-19 and you just don't want to spread, it's a good idea to wear a surgical mask so that you don't spread the germs to somebody in the seat next to you. Um, the, uh, see, you the best way to, to, to get advice is the CDC has a travel over. They have a level four travel ban to uh, three three countries, and you just can't go to those. There's other ones like uh, South Korea and Japan that um, are you know, where people are advised avoid unnecessary travel. And in the within the United States, again, the risks are very small. But if you're going to go to an area like California or Washington State, where there is our hot spots, that's where you have to be a little bit careful after off the plane uh, while you're in those towns and then when you get back in are you possibly going to spread it to somebody before you get sick you may not even know you have it if you do 
the, the most important thing is not to cancel your plans right away. Watch this for the CDC advisories. Um, uh, if it's unnecessary and it's a flight to a hot spot where there is a disease endemic, you may want to delay that to another time, but it's not 100% necessary. And, it's, and it depends on uh, how important it is that you go. There's a lot of business meetings and um, uh, uh, gatherings such as that that are, are important um, uh, mechanisms to shed important information on whatever their topic they're going to discuss. Um, one of the things that may not be as necessary if you're going to fly to another city for NCAA basketball game, totally unnecessary, totally entertainment. Um, those are the things that you may want to consider um, dropping out of um, first. Um, as far as planning is concerned, you want to make you got to try to avoid hoarding. Uh, it's not a bad idea to keep a week of food in the house, but you don't need much more than that. Uh, fresh water is uh, is very available and not much of an issue, but you don't have to get a year full of survival food uh, just to uh, to get through this. Uh, you may want to meet with your immediate uh, family and relatives and see who in the family and uh, neighbors uh, uh, have special issues that um, maybe they can't go out and maybe they need some help in getting some supplies, some soap or some food. Um, plan, uh, plan ways to care for people that you know at higher risk. Diabetics are people who are infirm and can't get out. Uh, uh, keep an eye, Pay attention to uh, how to get back and forth to your doctor if you need to do it and um, how, do, uh, how he wants to handle the situation if you do have a respiratory illness. Um, pay attention to the, the kids' schools and to the workplaces that you're involved. What are their emergency plans? Well, well I guess we're, we're, running, we're running out of time. But uh, okay. the, the thought is uh, stay vigilant and stay in, in tuned and engaged with what's going on. But uh, we'll have you back on again as this uh, whole situation continues to progress. Dr. Daniel Megas, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Take care. Good night. Thank you. Good night. And uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. We'll be right back. Cleveland, Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the uh, next two segments, we're going to be talking about Medicare and try to unscramble and demystify some of the things that people who are just getting into Medicare are, are probably facing and what the options are and, and why do we even have options. Well, to talk to us about that tonight is an expert on Medicare, and she's going to flinch when I say that, an expert on everything in Medicare, uh, Christine Grow, and she's calling from Washington, D.C. tonight. Christine, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, did I oversell you on being an expert on everything Medicare, or I don't know? <laughs> I will do my very best. And Medicare can be complicated, so I. But I, you know, in helping people at least understand where to start, I think uh, I think I could be helpful. Well, I, I think so. Uh, as my father was growing older, he lived till uh, he was ninety six, and it seemed the more medical treatment he needed, the more Medicare forms were coming out. And he was less and less able to handle the forms. Uh, luckily, he had children, uh, one of them, like me, being able to help him out. But um, with Medicare, you're with the uh, Coalition for Medicare Choices, right? 
That's right. Tell us what that is. You're anticipating my question. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The Coalition for Medicare Choices is an organization that represents about 2 million seniors uh, nationwide. And what they are uh, advocating for is for a strong Medicare Advantage program. When people age into Medicare or otherwise become eligible for Medicare, they have a choice of the kinds of plans that they can uh, purchase or get for themselves. They can get traditional Medicare, uh, which is Part A and B, with Part A covering some hospitalization costs and Part B covering things like doctor visits. Medicare Advantage is what's known as Part C. And Medicare Advantage looks and feels and operates a lot more like uh, the plan that you might get through your job or through your employer. A lot of Medicare Advantage plans also include prescription drug coverage. So uh, seniors are very uh, appreciative and really like their Medicare Advantage plans. And those who are part of the Coalition for uh, Medicare Choices really want to uh, protect Medicare Advantage and ensure that it remains a stable program that can continue to innovate and offer them more benefits at a lower cost. The alphabet soup, uh, Medicare Part A, Medicare Part B, Medicare Part C, and D, um, just briefly, what, just for those of us who aren't uh, all that versed in Medicare, what is Medicare Part A? Medicare Part A is the part of Medicare that covers a lot of the hospitalization. And so when someone just has been participating in Social Security, has been contributing to Medicare, and they turn 65, uh, are they automatically enrolled in Medicare uh, at all? Or do they have to they, Yes, they need to enroll in Medicare when they turn of age. So when you when you are eligible or turn of age, and, and I make the distinction of becoming eligible for Medicare because there are certain health conditions that can uh, make you eligible for being on a Medicare plan. Uh, for example, one of the things that, that comes up most frequently is kidney failure and end-stage renal uh, disease. So those people who have been diagnosed with that condition may also be eligible for Medicare. If you become eligible for Medicare, you will be sent notifications by the government that encourage you to enroll for a plan, and that's when you start making decisions about do you want uh, just the hospitalization part, which is Part A? Do you want to combine Medicare Part A and Part B um, with uh, hospital visits um, and other medically necessary services? Or do you want a Part C plan that provides more comprehensive coverage plus some additional benefits? You also mentioned Part D, and Part D is prescription drug coverage, so you can buy a a Part D plan separate from Medicare Advantage. But a lot of Medicare Advantage plans include prescription drug coverage bundled in with them. So there are a lot of different choices, uh, a lot of different ways that you can shop for a plan. Uh, you can go to a health insurance provider and talk with them about what plans they may offer in your geography, or you can go to Medicare.gov, and there are a lot of resources available from the federal government that will ask you questions and help you to make a buying decision that's right for you. Now, going back to the uh, the numbers or the letters, uh, Medicare A is hospitalization. Part B covers what, doctor's visits? That's right. And uh, then we said... Medicare Part C. Where does we hear hear the term Medicare supplement? Where, where does that come in? 
Those are all the other ele- uh, letters of the alphabet that follow Part D. And so what these are, they're, they're referred to Medicare supplements. Some people may know them as Medigap plans. But they are supplemental kinds of coverage that are designed to fill in what Part A and Part B may not cover. So they are also another kind of choice. Um, and, you know, to sort through all the different options, Everyone's health situation is different and what people want from their coverage is always going to be different. So it's useful to go through and explore all the different options of what you may want or what might be right for you. Uh, again, the, the resources that I named, uh, health insurance provider or medicare.gov can help you start to sort through some of that. There are also brokers in a lot of geographies that can sit down with you one-on-one and talk with you about your health situation, what you want from your coverage and what's best for you. No, when, when someone turns 65, is, is 65 still the age where Medicare kicks in? That's correct. And when you turn 65, uh, I'm, when do you start first getting notices from uh, Medicare or the Social Security Administration or whoever uh, that before you're 65 you have to do something? When does that begin and from who? You know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the age is, but it's, it's well in advance. Uh, in fact, I know that a lot of my friends who have just turned 55 will start getting notices from AARP that, uh, that they're starting to get to the age of uh, being an AARP and inviting them to become an AARP member. Well, that's always AARP, exciting. <laughs> sort of a reality check. AARP, I'm sorry. Um, and AARP also does communicate a lot about different kinds of coverage options, so that's one way that you will know. But the federal government does a lot of outreach uh, very early, um, so you'll have lots of time and lots of communications from the government when you start to get to uh, Medicare-eligible age. Now, as you're getting older, a lot of people, I think, uh, think that Medicare is free. Is there a monthly premium you have to pay for Medicare, or how is that done? So there usually is uh, some some charge that you would have to pay for Medicare Part A and B. When you start to purchase Medicare Advantage plans, there are a lot of plans that are available for zero premium in addition to that. So, um, you know, there, there can be very affordable or $0 premium plans that, that can wrap around Part A and B and making it certainly a, a very reasonable and, and cost-effective choice for a lot of seniors. Well, yeah, that's what I, I want to figure out is if you don't choose Part C and you're going with A and B, uh, are there a lot of hidden costs? We know there's going to be a monthly cost. Do they deduct that from your Social Security, or where does that come from? Well, if you choose Medicare Part A and B and don't choose C, um, certainly there can be things that may not be covered or, or what we might call a gap. Um, and for those, people would be responsible for paying those those uh, costs for care on their own. Um, that's why I think we, we do encourage people to consider things like a Medicare supplement p- uh, plan or certainly a Medicare Advantage plan, which can help fill in a lot of those gaps. I know in the, uh, a little later on I want to talk more about uh, Medicare Part C to uh, explore that to find out you know, what, what's the ease and the cost in that compared to the A and B. But, uh, yeah, tell us now for a little bit, what is the the cost with Medicare Part C generally? 
Uh, you know, there, the, so the costs and the plans will vary, and it depends on geography. <laughs> and when you go into a, a tool like Medicare Plan Finder, which is on that Medicare.gov site, or if you go to talk to a broker, um, you'll be shown different options that are available to you in your zip code, and they will show you things like if there are, uh, what the premium cost would be, if there's not a $0 premium, it'll show you what any kinds of uh, co-pays or out-of-pocket costs might be so that you can compare those. It'll show you what prescription drug coverage uh, looks like on that plan. Um, you can search to make sure that the prescription drugs that you take are available on the plan formulary. So there's a lot of uh, different tools and research that you can do to make sure that throughout the course of the year that you would have the plan that it makes financial sense for you. Well, we're talking to Christine Grove, and she's with uh, Medicare Advantage Plans, the uh, coalition of Medicare Choice. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. The advocate. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. And uh, we're uh, wrapping up our show tonight talking about Medicare, Part A, B, and C. And uh, with us, talking to us from Washington, D.C., is Christine Groh from the Coalition for Medicare Choice. Christine, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for explaining all of this, uh, by the way. I think uh, many of us who are not involved in it, uh, other than seeing the Medicare bills come in, uh, you know, don't really know much about it. But if uh, we're talking during the last segment about Medicare Part C, that's the Advantage Plans, and you explain that Advantage Plans, that um, really takes the place of Medicare A and B, is that right? It wraps around parts A and B, so it will cover a lot of things that traditional Medicare does not cover, and that could include things like dental care or hearing aids um, or things like foot care or, as I mentioned, prescription drug coverage. It can also offer access to fitness uh, services and even gym memberships to help people stay healthier longer. So there are a lot of different kinds of benefits that Medicare Advantage offers that traditional Medicare does not. Well, like uh, silver sneakers is part of that. We, we've heard of that. That's correct. Silver sneakers is an option that's available with a lot of different Medicare Advantage plans. There are a lot of other fitness uh, plans that may be available on a Medicare Advantage plan. So um, a lot of different options to explore for people. From a paperwork standpoint, uh, is it uh, more focused where you're just dealing with one provider rather than having Medicare and supplements and, and that kind of thing, or how does that work? The benefit of having a Medicare Advantage plan is you have a health insurance provider that you know and are familiar with in your area. For example, a lot of the health insurance providers that offer coverage through an employer or in the individual market will also offer a Medicare Advantage plan. Um, you think of big names that, that you have some comfort with, like Aetna, for example, or Humana, or a lot of other big-name Medicare Advantage plans um, that give you comfort that you have someone who's walking the journey with you, and if you have questions about your coverage or where to go for certain kinds of care, you can call them or you can go onto their website, and they're always there to help you every step of the way. Now, when we talk about these different plans, uh, Medicare Part A and B, 
you uh, are paying for that, and Advantage plans you're paying for that too. How do the prices compare? Well, what happens a lot of times with the Medicare Advantage plans is you can get that for a very low cost or even no cost premium. So for in terms of premium, it could be free for you. Um, and because it covers so many additional services, it can be very well worth the value. As I mentioned, a lot of Medicare Advantage plans include prescription drug coverage where traditional Medicare does not. So that's a very important consideration. <clears throat> well, when you mentioned it could be zero premium, how does, That's that, right. how does that even happen? Because uh, if you have to get Medi- if you have Medicare A and B and you get a supplement, you're paying for the supplement typically. I would assume, unless there are free supplements, which I don't know about. No, you're absolutely correct. Medicare Advantage is a uh, available through a partnership through the private sector and the and the public sector. So we've worked very closely with the federal government, and this is something I don't think a lot of people understand: is the federal government has a very close oversight of Medicare Advantage plans. They review them to ensure that they have strong networks, good benefits, good quality controls, and that they're offering very valuable benefits at a valuable price. Price point. The federal government also pays a certain uh, amount to Medicare Advantage plans so that they can offer the robust benefits that uh, people are looking for. That's one of the things that's, that is causing us to be very active here in Washington right now because as we're looking at the rates that the federal government is proposing to pay to Medicare Advantage plans for next year, we're seeing that those rates are not keeping up with the underlying, uh, the additional rates are not keeping up with the underlying costs of health care, which means uh, that people could see uh, fewer benefits in their Medicare Advantage plan. And we think that that's a concern because those benefits are very important to seniors. You know, if we follow a charge that they a Medicare eligible person makes. They go to a hospital, they go to an emergency room because they have the flu. And uh, 30 days later they start, there's bills being generated by the hospital. In a Medicare Advantage plan, where does that bill go for payment? Does the insurance company uh, with the Advantage plan, do they pay it? Or does Medicare pay it and is reimbursements going on behind the scenes or what's happening? So it'll work a lot more like a, a traditional commercial plan. So if you have coverage through your job right now, it'll work a lot more like that. You may have some form of a co-pay or co-insurance that you might need to pay, but you know it, it's going to vary depending on the on the, the kind of plan that you get. Yeah, and and I think what people can do when they have questions is when you start to look at you know a couple of plans that you think make sense for you is to call the health insurance provider and talk with them about your situation and walk through scenarios just like that. What happens when I go to a hospital? How will I be billed for that? The good news is that the health insurance provider is always available there for you to call and ask questions. Um, they are they see themselves as the advocate for the patient. So they'll answer your questions. They'll make sure that the billing charges are right. If you have a question about something that you've been billed by a doctor or a hospital, they'll often advocate for you if they think that you have been billed for something that the charge isn't right or maybe even for a service that perhaps you didn't receive. Um, So again, they're with you every step of the way on that journey. Well, looking at the business model, I'm curious, how can they afford not to charge any premium? And they're getting, I suppose, they're getting their reimbursements from Medicare rather than coming to the patient goes to the insurance company? 
That's right. They will rely on the investments and the dollars that they get from the federal government. And they are very good at innovating. So they, because there are so many choices available to seniors, this is a very competitive market. And the health insurance providers work to uh, negotiate lower costs with the doctors and hospitals, to negotiate lower costs with the drug makers for the drugs that they have on their formularies and to offer things like care coordination to improve the overall health of the member, um, care managers and and, uh, social workers who will often work with people if they're having a problem getting to care or staying compliant with their medication because they are fully driven to keep you as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And all of that innovation and and that drive to keep people healthy uh, results in longer-term savings down the road um, because you, you won't be hospitalized as much. Now, we're thrilled that you're not hospitalized as much, right? We, we want to keep we you out are. of the hospital. You want to stay out of the hospital. No offense, um, but yes. <laughs> Uh, right. Um, but that, that results in savings. So by helping you get to your pharmacist, for example, or making sure that you know when and how to take your medications in the right way so that it's safe for you, um, we can lower the cost. Now, so then with lowering the cost, uh, let's just take, for example, is Aetna one of the companies that offers uh, the Advantage plan? Yes, that's a go for Medicare Advantage plans. That's one. Okay, so just use that as an example. Uh, so we understand the business model a little bit. I'm sure everybody's interested in the business model of, of health insurance. But uh, <laughs> does it mean that um, you have Medicare sets what the reimbursement rates are? Would someone like Aetna negotiate their own reimbursement rates that might be different than Medicare's? No, they do not negotiate reimbursement rates with the federal government. What they do is they will then create networks of doctors and hospitals and create formularies of drugs that are covered on their formularies at different tiers. So they'll negotiate with the doctors and the hospitals and the drug makers for fair rates that they should be reimbursed. We all know that health care costs are very, very high for medical care and for drugs. What we want to do is negotiate better rates so that our patients are not being billed for those very, very high charges. We're very good at that. We're very good at negotiating. So by bringing those costs down, we can realize savings, both for the seniors as well as for the taxpayers. Well, well, very good. Well, it certainly sounds, if you don't know anything about Medicare Part C, there's certainly some advantage for the Advantage program. Uh, Christine, do you have a website real quick someone can go to to get some answers? Absolutely. The, the web address for the Coalition for Medicare Choices is medicarechoices.org. Well, wonderful. Well, uh, Christine Grow, thank you so much for sharing with us tonight. And now we're so understanding of what's going on out there with Medicare. We're all going to go out and age gracefully now and get Medicare when we need it. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been a great time for me. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for listening to us tonight. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset, sat and drank my fresh mint tea.